Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by Brightspot Ed LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Shelley Vale Smith. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Linda Friedrich, who is the director Director of Literacy at West Ed and leads the agency's reading apprenticeship team, which has a proven track record in improving disciplinary literacy in middle school, high school, and college. For nearly three decades, Dr. Friedrich has worked to engage teachers in collaboratively improving teaching and learning with a strong focus on literacy. Most recently, she served as the Director of Research and Evaluation at the National Writing Project, where she led writing assessment efforts and developed and co-facilitated an initiative that engages young people in crafting civic arguments and improving academic arguments. Prior to joining National Writing Project, she served as Research Director at the Coalition of Essential Schools and as a Program Officer at the Philadelphia Education Fund. She has won competitive program and research grants, co-authored peer-reviewed journal articles and book chapters, edited collections of teachers' research, including Working Towards Equity, and with Ann Lieberman, co-authored How Teachers Become Leaders, Learning from Practice and Research. Dr. Friedrich earned her PhD in Administration and Policy Analysis at Stanford University's Graduate School of Education and holds a BA in History from Bryn Mawr College. Welcome, Linda. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Shelley. It's a pleasure to meet you and to have an opportunity to talk with Alabama educators. I know, we're so excited because we love talking about literacy. So can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved in literacy? Absolutely. So I was really thinking about this question and I realized that literacy has been important to me since my earliest childhood memories. So. I remember when I was a very little girl in rural Iowa, being out in my garage and writing tickets for my own restaurant out in the garage. So that's my writing memory actually precedes my early reading memories. But then we were lovers of the library. And so my mom would take me into town in Marcus, Iowa, and I would check out the books that I wanted to read. And as a very little girl, I always always liked the little books that just fit just right in my hands. So literacy is just core to who I am as a person. Professionally, however, you know, I really, from the time I graduated from college, have really focused on supporting teachers and teachers' professional learning. And after graduate school, I had the opportunity to work at the Coalition of Essential Schools. And the major project that I worked on was a collaboration with the National Writing Project. And our work together was supporting teachers inquiring into their own practices. And out of that, I really began to appreciate all the ways in which reading and writing and teachers really figuring out how to teach those to their students, regardless if they were English language arts teachers 
or if they were science teachers or history teachers, that those ideas were really core to learning in all subject areas. So really that early work after graduate school, that's how literacy really became a focus for me professionally. Well, and how exciting to be part of such innovative work and groundbreaking work where it's really still the model across the entire country that is held up as what we should be doing. Exactly. And one of the things that's so exciting to me about that work and my ongoing work is really how to learn from teachers and lift teachers' voices and excellent practices forward and really seeing that as a complement to research and how those two things intersect with each other. Absolutely. Because if we don't learn from the people who are doing the work, then we're probably not going to learn from anybody, which would be a terrible mistake. So currently, you're the director of literacy at West Ed, and specifically, you lead the reading apprenticeship team. So what can you tell us about West Ed and reading apprenticeship? WestEd is a national nonprofit organization, and we offer research, technical assistance, and professional learning in education and several related fields. We have about 800 passionate employees who are committed to making a positive and equitable impact in education. And reading apprenticeship has been part of WestEd since the mid-1990s. So reading apprenticeship is several things. We really focus on adolescent literacy and primarily through providing teacher professional learning. My colleagues, Ruth Schoenbach and Cindy Greenleaf, the founders of Reading Apprenticeship, really thought initially about Reading Apprenticeship as a metaphor. So if you think about practical fields, there is often an apprenticeship process during which individuals learn from more experienced others how to carry out that work. And some of the foundational research for reading apprenticeship thinks about cognitive apprenticeship. So we're really thinking about teachers and adult readers and actually even peers as being those people who are helping to apprentice readers into reading. And since we work primarily with adolescents, reading happens in the content areas. So a history teacher is really apprenticing his or her students into, as Sam Weinberg from Stanford would say, reading like an historian. Reading apprenticeship is also a framework, and it's a framework both for what happens in classrooms with teachers and students and in professional learning. At the core of our framework is metacognitive conversation. So metacognition is essentially all of those hidden invisible things that we do as adult expert readers to make sense of text. And they're often even pretty hidden from us until we encounter a really challenging text and we have to like notice what we're doing and slow down and read things in chunks and say, oh, I, I understand how clauses in sentences work or I'm making this connection to something else. And so metacognitive conversation is the process of making those invisible automatic processes visible. Part of the framework is also extensive reading. And by extensive reading, we mean both a high volume of reading and also reading very broadly and reading different kinds of materials. So 
To take science, for example, in science, students will often encounter a textbook. Well, a textbook isn't just prose text written in paragraphs. It includes data displays. It includes mathematical formulas. It includes graphs. It includes process diagrams. Often it includes photographs, collecting data from labs. All of those things are part of that extensive reading idea. And then we think about four dimensions of classroom or professional learning life that really support that connection between metacognition and extensive reading. So we always start out with the social and personal dimensions. And for adolescents, what could be better than starting both with the social and the personal? For the social dimensions, we're really thinking again, about that apprenticeship model. So often there are multiple apprenticeships and you're being apprenticed into a whole community of practice. And by having um, a safe classroom where both teachers and students can admit, I don't know that word, or I don't have the background knowledge to really interpret what this poem is saying, creating that safety and then hearing other people's experiences helps to make us better readers. The personal dimension is both bringing our whole selves as learners and as people to the work, and then also building up our self-concept. And so often our adolescent learners, both those who have experienced less success and sometimes those who are on paper very successful, building up people's confidence to read challenging things that are on grade level and building that identity as a reader and a learner. The third dimension is what I think most people think of when they think about adolescent reading strategies, and that's the cognitive dimension. So those really are some of the typical kinds of things that I think many of your um, listeners will be familiar with. Breaking down or chunking text, reading for the gist, making connections, breaking down words, those kinds of things are all the kinds of things that readers do to make sense of unfamiliar and complex text. And then finally is the knowledge building dimension. And I think increasingly in reading research, the importance of background knowledge is really coming to be well understood as, you know, you may be a great reader of novels or poetry and be completely stumped by a postmodern critical literary text, for example. And so having that background knowledge of the world, of the discipline, but also of language and thinking about the words, the sentences, all of that kind of knowledge, all of those things come together and really help shape who we are as readers. Wow. That's a lot to take in. And so it's just really staggering to think of all the skills that we're expecting teachers to teach students so that they do become successful readers. That's exactly right. And I think you can hear from the things that I'm talking about that these are complex skills too. And, you know, I think a little bit later we're going to talk um, about some of these things, but. I think people have this idea that by third grade, you learn to read, you know everything you need to know about reading, 
and then you read to learn. And it's a bit of an oversimplification because even as an expert adult reader in certain areas, I'm still learning to read. And so, you know, to me, having this framework really helps me think about myself as a reader and also all of those intersecting things that happen for our students and for our teachers in that complex environment. Well, and a lot of times, and I do agree about the idea of, you know, you're learning to read up until third grade, but we really have foundational skills all the way through fifth grade. Exactly. And, and then really the morphology and all of those other things, I am still, like you said, I'm still learning some of those things because there's just no way that you can learn all of it in high school or college. I mean, you have to do this your entire life to really have the kind of skill that we would want. Exactly. And I think it keeps us sort of alive as human beings to keep learning and to keep falling in love with language. Of course, both of us are literacy geeks, so. Absolutely. So you and I have talked about the importance of adolescent literacy, and I would love to hear your thoughts on why you think it's so important and also why we aren't paying more attention to it nationally. So to me, literacy really is the key to all of learning and to much of life as well as members of our communities who are reading the news, staying in touch with current events as church members. I mean, think about all of the literacy that goes into various faith traditions. The world of work, how, how much time do we spend reading and writing? And it's so important for adolescents because adolescents are on the path to becoming full members of our communities. So learning in disciplines for students who are going on for a college career, in career technical education. I mean, if you're coding computer programs, you do a lot of reading. Now, it's a very different kind of reading than you might think about, but you're reading a lot. And also, you know, learning to read critically and de developing a passion for reading really builds youth's abilities as learners and as members of society. So to me, it's just so fundamental. And so why isn't adolescent literacy on everybody's radar? And I think it goes back to what you and I were just talking about, that there really is this idea, we have to invest in those foundational skills. I completely agree with that. We do need to do that. The research is really clear that that really sets people on that successful trajectory. And many of our adolescent students come to us having not fully mastered those skills and maybe seeing themselves as non-readers. And so, you know, I think that's part of the reason that it's so important that we can't ever give up on our students. No. And as a high school English teacher, I would find kids who didn't love reading. And my goal was for them to love reading. And I accomplished that 
in large part by finding books that they were willing to invest the time and energy in. And then they ended up being these literate people, some of them writers for the rest of their lives. And so it really is something that's going to affect the rest of their life, even though sometimes we don't really pay a lot of attention to it. Exactly. And that's such an important point you make about making that connection between reading and things that young people are passionate about, that that can really open up that whole world, especially for, you know, people who are coming to us, either being told or telling themselves, oh, that reading thing, that's just not for me. But saying, well, I've learned this thing about you that you're passionate about. Why don't you try this? Yeah. And I really do believe that that is so key to just getting all children engaged in this process of loving reading. Got to find what they're interested in, even as adults. So you were the director of research at the National Writing Project, which is a nationwide network of people working to improve writing. Where do you think we are as a nation with writing right now? And why is writing more important than ever? So I think over the past decade, as states have been adopting new standards, there was once again, really an increased focus on writing. And so I think that that's been really positive. I admit to being just a little bit worried with the pandemic when people are going to feel so anxious about really making sure to accelerate students learning in the content area, that writing could get short shrift again. I really hope that I'm proven wrong about that. But to me, writing and reading are so intimately connected. In my work with reading apprenticeship, a big part of the work is a lot of informal writing and how that helps you read. In my work at the National Writing Project, reading was really connected to the work that we did as a writing project, whether people were reading texts to emulate them and learn how to write in certain genres, or as with one of the last projects I was involved with, with the National Writing Project, the College Career and Community Writers Program, which focused on civically engaged writing and engaging our young people, again, connecting to that focus on contemporary issues that matter in the world and learning to read multiple perspectives, multiple background pieces on those things. And to learn to write really respectfully about people whose views are different from your own while honing your own ideas and maybe shaping them a little bit. So to me, that's part of the reason that writing is so important. It allows you to do something with reading. It allows you to place yourself in the world and to put a stake in the ground. It's part of really engaging in making our communities better, in engaging in sort of the world of citizenship. That reading and writing connection are really, really important. And, you know, also as part of that work at the Writing Project, as the research person, one of my contributions was really thinking about writing assessment, but thinking about it in formal ways. And how could students learn to assess the qualities 
of their own writing? Like, what are the tools that we needed to put forward? And one of the things that I got to work on toward the end of my time at the National Writing Project was something that we called the Student Using Sources Tool. And in fact, we worked with some teachers in Alabama from Jefferson and Perry counties on some of the development and testing of this. So, you know, the student using sources tool was a way of saying, here are the things that need to show up in a high quality argument. And then teaching students what those look like, how to look for them in their own writing, in their peers' writing, which was very motivating because all of a sudden their classmates were going to be reading what they wrote. So it was a whole different level of engagement than when you're writing for your teacher. We would love that our students all wrote for us just as much as they wrote for their peers. But again, going back to that social idea, there's definitely some things there. And one of the things that teachers in those Alabama schools where we were working really reflected on was how putting these kinds of tools in place where students were reading their writing was that this it helped build students' agency. And so I just have a quote from one teacher who said, this tool gives students a framework they can use and adjust based on their individual needs. They no longer feel like they need to wait for me to pro provide feedback. Well, at least not to the same degree. But you know, what teacher doesn't want his or her students to take ownership over their writing to say, oh, wow, I can revise this and make this better. So, you know, again, I think that writing piece is also part of being an engaged citizen and, you know, being a lifelong learner and having that agency and confidence to be able to make those revisions on your own. Absolutely. And if you've ever worked with students who gain that confidence through their writing, it is so fantastic to see what it does to their self-esteem and to just their whole life trajectory because they see themselves as competent and able to do things beyond maybe what they had originally envisioned. Absolutely. One of my writing project colleagues, Casey Olson from Columbus, Montana, worked with his high school students to write letters to the editor of their rural county newspaper. And they really wrote about all sorts of things that were happening in their community and weighed in on them and ended up helping to make some change in the county, like making sure that there was a dedicated rural ambulance service. I mean, how hugely impactful. Well, and you talk about engaging kids, give them something real to work on. And so I think that we still have a long way to go in many ways in making things authentic for students for them to really care about. The consequences of poor literacy instruction typically affect students of poverty and color more dramatically. What are some of the ways that we can reach these students that perhaps have arrived in middle or high school or even college and aren't reading or writing well? So I think, you know, one of them is really, as you were saying earlier, recognizing students' strengths and passions and building on those. And I think it's really easy as educators to sometimes get discouraged by the starting points that some of our students come to us with. And so creating opportunities to find out where there are strengths and saying, let's build from this is really powerful. 
And then, you know, teaching those, some of those explicit skills for both reading and writing can really help students experience success gradually. And that then helps build their self-concept as people. And I think as teachers, you know, so often we think, I need to know everything. I, I need to give my students my knowledge. And the truth is, I think we sometimes feel a little bad about this. We don't know everything. So being vulnerable, recognizing, you know, when I don't know a word or I'm not sure about the context, that is so powerful for our students. And then your point about engaging students in reading things that they cared about, I completely, I just keep coming back to that idea. And so we saw in, you know, this work that we did with the writing projects, students writing about topics that mattered to them and their communities. In Mississippi, some students jointly wrote about um, grocery store in their town closing and now having to drive 35 miles and then working with other people in the town to try to figure out what are some ways we can address this. In Reading Apprenticeship over the past year, we've been collaborating with the Rhode Island Department of Education and especially around sort of that accelerating learning for students. And last summer when we started the work, in addition to the pandemic, so many of the students in Rhode Island were really faced with some of the racial tensions. And so the core text that we read together was Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. And it gave those adolescent learners a place to discuss what was happening to them personally, what they heard about happening in the world, and to connect that to reading and writing. And one of the parents told our Rhode Island Department of Education colleagues about how excited she was about this work for her students. She And this parent said, I'm the parent of a 12th grader who participated in this program and just wanted to say a big thank you. My son had never been engaged in reading and school assignments. He loved Trevor Noah's book and talked about it regularly. There were even several times we listened to it together on Audible. He actually asked me to twice. I'm a reader and despite tremendous effort, I've never been successful in helping him engage in a book in quite this way. So again, you know, connecting to the real lived experiences of our young people, not in a political way, but in a way that's open and creates the space for those conversations. And then to give them the skills where they really feel like they can tackle a whole book when they haven't had that experience yet. Well, and it's amazing sometimes how few children have actually read an entire book. And, you know, because we use basal readers that have little sections of mm -hmm. a novel or a play or whatever. And so at the middle school level, I would find children who had never read an entire book and it was shocking. Exactly. And so our students don't come to us with those experiences supported. And imagine if all you've ever read is a short little piece that has, you know, very specific questions that even if you don't have the full comprehension of the thing, you're like, oh, I can find this word and this is where it is in the text. 
imagine then confronting a, a full-length novel. That's intimidating, right? Mm-hmm. It is. And so, you know, honestly, that was one of our goals at the school where I was the uh, principal at the elementary level was for our third and fourth graders to read an entire book. And it might not be a huge book or a long book, but it was an entire novel or uh, chapter book because we really felt like building their stamina and exposing them to that experience was so important. Exactly. And it really, it also really builds their confidence. Yeah. They love reading. It's really easy for me to get consumed in all of the aspects of improving reading and writing as I suspect it is for so many other people. But sometimes we forget to ask the people who are really doing the work, who are our students. Do you have any thoughts about how we elevate their voices in both the design and delivery of instruction? So at both um, with Reading Apprenticeship and the National Writing Project, we share so much common ground. And one of the core things is about elevating students' voices. I mean, as I think you can tell, and right in the writing project, that voice and agency just comes through writing about things you care about, doing writing that makes a difference in the world, as well as students assessing their own work. Those things give teachers tremendous insight into both what students' strengths are and here are the places where our students still need additional support and instruction. And so by having lots of opportunities for writing, that's like one really important way. And in reading apprenticeship, I think very similarly, elevating students' voices around what they need in terms of teaching does come through with that metacognitive conversation. So reading apprenticeship classrooms are pretty noisy places. I mean, there are moments of silence where students are reading individually and annotating their texts, but they're noisy because students are talking in pairs, they're talking in small groups, they're talking as a class, both as they're learning how to comprehend these more complex texts, but also as they're making connections to the ideas from their disciplines. And, you know, to me, I think it's really hard to let go as a teacher to sort of turn that work of learning over to the students. And once it happens, it's also so rewarding because you really understand, here's what my students can do. I can see how they've grown because they're telling me, they're talking, they are actually doing the work. I'm not doing all of the reading for them. I love it. It's exactly what I believe. And so maybe that's the reason I love it. But um, (laughs) I really think that when we take what students value and need is just a recipe for success. And so I sometimes wonder why we don't do it more. The pandemic really showed some of the divides that are currently present in the delivery of educational services. What are some of the lessons that you've seen emerge and what are some things that we can use going forward to improve? So to sound like a broken record, (laughs) I think just engaging students in topics of interest to them and building those skills. And that to me is really where the teachers come in. I really view these student-centered classrooms as also really needing the teacher because as the teacher, you are the one who knows about interpreting poetry. You are the one 
who really has that knowledge and expertise in interpreting historical documents and making sense across widely disparate accounts of what happened in the past. And you're unlocking for students those things that you know through modeling and then through creating experiences where they're grappling with them. And that was pretty hard to do during the pandemic when, you know, students were in and out of school. Sometimes we saw our students face to face. Some places we didn't see our students face to face at all. But I think continuing to do that is going to be more important this year than ever and building those classroom communities, building those social supports, and then really doing that skill building. I go back to the work that we're doing with the Rhode Island Department of Education, teaching those skills for breaking down text really important. Um, the students were reading college-level journal articles, the kinds of things that they'll encounter when they start college. And one of the students in the 12th grade course reflected, I have learned many reading strategies from this course. I believe I could put any kind of book in front of me, no matter how hard, and I would be able to get through it. This is all thanks to the help of my teacher throughout this course. I have learned so many helpful strategies to get through passages. So, you know, again, that powerful role of the teacher modeling and giving students things that they then take and own for themselves. I think as we emerge from the pandemic and we talk about accelerating learning, that is really part of the key is turning over that work to the students and giving the students the tools that they need to engage in challenging, meaningful work. And I love that you brought out the modeling part because it's not just about assigning more challenging work or even what we think might be engaging. It's being in there and doing the work with students and helping them with it, in my opinion, that really makes it last for kids. Exactly. This is you know, such a huge topic, but if you had one thing that you wish people could take away from our conversation today, what would it be? I'm going to fail at this task, but I can get, I can get it to two things. Okay. Good enough. <laughs> so first is literacy is part of literally everything. And then the second thing is that our students are truly capable of learning at high levels with the support of their teachers. Yeah, I agree. And I think that we just hurt them in so many ways when we don't realize that they are capable. And so it is hard sometimes because they don't like doing challenging work sometimes. And that's where the engagement <laughs> piece is really essential because, you know, there are many things that I have taught in an English classroom that you know, kids didn't care about. But when I got them to things that they cared about, they were capable. And so I think that that's part of it. Linda, thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate what you're doing and have done for children, teachers, and families across this country. Well, and thank you. Thank you, Shelley, for all of the work that you are doing to improve literacy in Alabama. And thank you to all of the amazing educators in Alabama. I've had a chance to meet a few of you and just really appreciate the work that you are doing with and for your students. Absolutely. Thank you. Join us again next week for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Networks podcast. <music>